0: You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. All right. Um, So that was long but good. And be glad that you got to stand a little bit because you're going to be sitting for a little while. Um, We have a lot of ground to cover, not a lot of time. Um, To start off this morning, we don't usually uh, embarrass visitors. We hate to do that. But we do have some special visitors with us this morning. And so could the families—we have three visitors today from Spain, from the Basque Country. They're staying with three families in Red Seas. Could we have uh, the three visitors from the Basque Country stand and the families— the Tongues, the Edelmans, my family. And in the back row here from—I told you I was going to embarrass you. We hate to embarrass people, unless it's Jim Tongue, which I don't mind, but um, normally we don't. We have Wan Shi in the back from my left to right. Ane. Ane is staying with Zeb and Beth Edelman. Wan Shi is staying with Jim and Danielle Tongue. And then in the very back by my son Josiah, we have Aritz. He's staying with us, the tall, good-looking lad in the back. Um, Thanks, you guys. You can sit down. So we're just excited that you guys are here with us, so sorry to embarrass you. That's the only time we'll do it. Um, Let's pray quickly, and then we're going to jump in. So would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father God, we love you. Thank you for this place to gather. Thank you for your people, uh, for making us a family, uh, because of what your son Jesus has done for us. We believe this is your word, the creator of everything that we see and of ourselves, of our hearts, of our minds. And so, uh, God, we want to heed your words. We want to learn from you and, and stand in awe of who you are and what you have done. Help us to do that by your Holy Spirit, we ask uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All righty. I'd like to open with a story this morning. And uh, how many people have chickens? Anybody have chickens? You have my old chickens. <laughs> That's right. I almost forgot about that. Okay. Let's just say, I'll show the first slide here. Let's just say there's these chickens, okay? Kind of making the story up a little bit as we go. Someone has these chickens. So they're cute little chickens. They raise them from little chicklets like this. Uh, let's say, you know, one of them had a cute little name. What would be a cute name for a chicken? Anybody? Chickadee. chickadee. <laughs> little Chickadee. Kids would play with Chickadee, raise it up as their own. Uh, There's a couple more, maybe one other. What's another cute name for a chicken? Pedro? Pedro? Is that what you said? Pedro, Pedro, yeah. Chickadee and Pedro, the chickens. Okay. These are part of the family, okay? They lay eggs, they provide. The kids play with them. Um, Now, let's just say there's a chicken pen you have in the yard, and there's a horrible, mean raccoon, vicious, okay? This vicious raccoon has been breaking into the chicken pen, killing chickens, trying to kill the chickens. And finally, the tragedy is that he kills and eats Pedro and Chickadee, this, this raccoon. Now, this family also has a guard dog. It is not that, but the next slide. Okay, they have a guard dog, German shepherd, guarding the pen, Max. Thank you. Max is a loyal pet, has been with the family would do anything to protect it, has tried and tried, tried to protect those chickens. Unfortunately, he failed. Chickens are dead by this vicious mean raccoon. Okay, now, let's say that the way, here's the way that the family deals with this. Okay, they take, let's actually, let me add a little twist to this. The raccoon gets caught in a trap, okay? So now the family finds this raccoon caught in a trap. This is the raccoon that killed Chickadee and little Pedro. They have this raccoon. Justice is about to be done. Okay? What do they do? Let's say that they handled it this way. What they do is they take the raccoon out of the trap, clean up the raccoon's wounds so that it's, it's healed, nurse it back to health, and let it go into the wild. And they take the loyal dog, Max, and shoot him. Dead. They take all of the chickens and kill them as well. The end. I like that story? Isn't that beautiful? How do you feel about that story? set well with you? If that was a true story, how would you feel? Anybody feel kind of horrible? Just like, what is that all about? That is so unjust. What's happened in this story is that the guilty has gone free. Has been nurtured and healed and let loose. And the innocent dog, Max, and the innocent chickens... Were killed, or the crimes of the raccoons. We're going to look at a story today. Um, this passage, and this is a little bit of actually of what is going on in this passage. It's actually, when we really understand the depths of this, it's quite almost unjust to us what God has really done for us. So we need to understand that. So we're in Luke chapter 23. We're just focusing on um, part of the chapter. We're going to start with uh, verse 13. Here's what it says. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I find this man I do not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So what is going on here? You've got this guy, Pilate. He's the governor of an area in Israel. The Romans are ruling the Jewish people. They live in the land of Israel, but they are owned by the Romans who has conquered them. Okay? They're letting them have their temple. They're letting, letting them do all the things that they do, the religious things and function as a society, but under Roman rule. Pilate... Is the governor of that area, the Roman governor of that area. They bring this one, Jesus, this Jewish man, this Jewish rabbi, to him. His own people bring him, and they want to kill him. They want to see him dead. Pilate's looking at him saying, I don't see any guilt in this man. He's innocent. There's no reason to kill him. But the people want him dead anyway. What is going on here? I wanted to bring a little bit of context to the story. So really quickly, we're going to do a history of the world in six points. In three minutes. Think I can do it? Okay. This helps us understand where we're at because we're jumping into a scene and we need to understand how we got here. Here's the first thing. Let's go back to the very beginning. You cannot read the verses up there. I apologize for that. But look at the picture. This is what the crown on top represents God. The little guy underneath represents human beings and the round ball represents the world. So God creates, He created the world, made everything that we see And then he made human beings to live on that world, to run the world under his rule. God's the kind of ruler, the kind of king that you want to be ruled by because he's loving. He's always just. He always does what's best for his subjects, for the people under his rule. Always. And so this is the beautiful picture of what God created and what he wanted to be. was this beautiful creation with human beings created in his image to run the world, to get along together. Everyone's getting along. Everyone's having a great time, roaming the earth, taking care of the earth under God's rule. Is that what we see today when we look around? Obviously not, unless you're living in a hole. It's not the way the world is. What went wrong? And here's this verse on the top. I'll just read it to you. It says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor In power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Revelation 4.11. I might need glasses. Sorry about that. God owns the world. It's his. He made it. If you make something, you create it, it's yours, right? You own it. You have the final say over what happens with it. Something has gone horribly wrong. What happened? Next slide. Here's what happened. It's a little thing called human beings. You and me. We as human beings have decided, you see an X over God's crown, we're not going to live under your rule. We have decided we want to do things our way, live life our way. We'll take care of the world the way that we want to take care of it. We've cut God out of the picture. Where has that left us? It left us with the world that we see today. We see broken relationships, we see nations of people at war with one another, we see hatred, we see dysfunction. We see killing, death, all of these horrible things. Because we've decided, hey, we can handle this world ourselves. We can do it. We know how to do it. But we failed at it. We failed miserably. We've rebelled against God. We've got to feel the weight of what we have done. All of us have rebelled against him. We do it in different ways. Some of us are just blatant, like the people in the passage that were crying out for his crucifixion. Crucify him. We want him dead. Others watched and went, meh says he's the son of God. I don't really care. I don't really care about you, God. Whatever. Maybe you're real. Maybe you're not. I'm just going to do my own thing. doesn't matter how we do it. We all have turned away and we've said, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to live under your rule. He is the owner. It's his creation. And we've taken it, done whatever we want with it. Let's bring this home a little bit. Um, Brent McLean, my good friend here, played electric guitar this morning. You guys enjoy that? Yeah? Give him a hand. It's okay. This is one of Brent's babies. Epiphone Les Paul guitar. It's a really nice one. Now, have you guys ever seen those rock bands where, like, after a show, they smash the guitars? You guys want to see that? Okay, watch this. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do it. Now, let's say I was really going to do that. How would that make Brent feel, do you think? Do you like this guitar, Brent? Got some, yeah, it's got some actual value and some sentimental value, right? If I took that and broke it, how would he feel? Mad, a little upset, because it's his. He owns it. If you let somebody borrow your car, you take the car, and you take it out, and you just trash it. You don't take care of it at all. You let your dog run over all over the place, drooling and ripping up the seats, and you're just taking the turns hard, wearing the tires out. Just, I mean, just totally trashing this car, getting a couple accidents, fender benders. Then you bring the car back to the person. Hey, thanks so much for letting me borrow this. How do you think the person would feel? Pretty upset. you got to put yourself in those shoes. Like, all of us are going to feel that way. Something that we created, something that we own, someone else trashes it. This is what we've done to God's world. It's what we've done to the world, the creation, to the people that he's created. In his image, we hurt each other. We've completely trashed God's world. We suck at running God's world. We just can't do it. This is why we are where we are, because... We human beings are rebels against God's design, against his creation. We're not doing what we were created for. If you try to put milk in a gas, gasoline tank in a car, I don't know what's going to happen because I've never tried it. It's probably not going to run very well because it wasn't created for that. We're doing all of the opposite things of what God created us for. So what's God going to do about it? Is he just sitting watching, watching this? Oh, well, I tried. I guess we'll just see what happens. Next slide. God actually is just, and He has consequences for our actions. The consequences, what the Bible tells us, is death. Hebrews 9:27 says, "Just as each person is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment." Uh, the statistics on death are one, and every one person dies. So every person in the world dies, you're going to die. Okay, thanks for coming this morning. Let's pray. Sorry. This is, the, this is the bad part of the story. We're all going to die. We watched The Hunger Games yesterday. Anybody seen that? Some movies do a really good job of just bringing home the reality of death and, and how horrible it is. Some of you may exper- have experienced that in your life even recently. Death is the end. It's something that it doesn't matter what you're doing or how much you think you've got to figure it out. You can't stop yourself. You can't stop those around you that you love from dying. We die. Why does that happen? Well, the Bible says this is why it happens, because God has given us a punishment. He said, if you rebel against me, you will die. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? Why would God do that? Well, first of all, he's just, and he's also giving us exactly what we want. I don't want you in my life, God. I want to live and do it my own way. And so God said, okay. And now we get to live apart from him forever. He says, I won't be in your life anymore. You will die, and that's it. That's the hopelessness that we find ourselves in today, and it's our fault. And if you notice through that whole thing, did God ever do anything wrong? Did he ever do anything unjust? If I smashed Brent's guitar to pieces and he demanded that I buy him another one, is he wrong for doing that? We've completely trashed God's creation. We've told our creator, no, I want nothing to do with you, and so he's given us the just and righteous punishment for our actions, the consequences. That's where we find ourselves. Three quick things we got to understand as we move into this passage. First one is a dude named Abraham who's on the next slide, looking up at the stars in the sky. It's kind of hard to see. God appeared to a guy named Abraham. So God is, is punishing us, He's given us death. Now He could just leave it at that. But instead, God keeps pursuing us. He says, No, that's not enough. I'm not going to stop there. I'm not going to allow you to to all die in your hopelessness because for some reason he cares about us and he loves us, and so he comes after us. The first thing he did was appear to a guy uh, named Abraham. To Abraham he said, look at the stars in the sky. If you can even count them, you can't count them. There's too many. I'm going to give you a son, and through that offspring, there's going to be a people. Like the stars in the sky, they're going to be called the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. And that's exactly what happened. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless these people. And these people are going to be a blessing to all the nations of the whole world. All the people, peoples of the entire world are going to be blessed because of this Jewish people that I've, that I've made you into. Second thing, the Jew, this actually happens. We see it in history in the Jewish people. And God says to them, now, there's a way for you to escape death. Because we die once physically, but there's also a death that happens after we die it's the judgment of our spirit god says that we have a spirit that leaves our body you can see that happen when someone dies their body's there everything's intact but something's gone isn't it it's the spirit of the person that god placed in them goes somewhere that spirit faces judgment as well that's the that's what is so horrific about our sin and about our punishment god said there's a way you can sacrifice an animal in your place So you're supposed to die, but you can move and put an animal there, kill that animal, and then I will forgive your sin until you do it again, and then you sacrifice another animal, and you keep doing that. So the Jews had this sacrificial system where they would bring an innocent animal, an innocent lamb, and the animal would die, and they would kill the animal themselves. And God was saying, I forgive you now because that animal died instead of you. Something has to die. My justice has to be met. So that's the sacrificial system that happened. And the last thing you need to understand is that God promised a deliverer, what the Bible calls a Messiah. It was going to be someone that was going to come and save them once and for all. Here they are. God's leading them. They made them a people. Somehow the whole world's supposed to be blessed through them. And he made a way for them to be cleansed of their sin. Every time they sin, they're cleansed of it. He forgives them. But it's not enough because they keep doing this, but something's still missing. God says, I'm going to send a Messiah Who's going to come. He's going to deliver you from all of your sins, from all of your oppression. He's going to make the world right again, like it was in the beginning. He's going to make it like that again. This is what the Bible calls a Messiah. It comes from the Hebrew word, Mashiach. And then the translation in the Greek is Christos, and that's where we get the word Christ. Have you heard the word Christ before? It's not Jesus' last name, okay? This is what it is, the Christ. It means he's the Messiah. When we read in this passage, it says Christ— it means the Messiah. This is the person that the Jewish people were looking for. So let's get back into our passage here. Verse uh, 18, if you're following along. So Pilate looks at this man. They bring to him. They are mad because he's saying he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And they're saying, no, you're not. And they're upset about it. they want him to die. Pilate, the governor, takes him and says, I don't, see him. I don't think he committed any crimes that we should kill him for. I'll just punish him and release him to you. Here's their response. Verse 18. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no guilt Deserving of death, I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. Here's what they're asking for. Here's what the Jesus' own people, he was he was Jewish, he was one of their people. Here's what they wanted to happen to him, and they were screaming out for as they wanted him to be crucified. Crucifixion in the first century uh, was the worst. I think the worst possible way you could imagine or ever dream up of dying. Here's what they would do is a person was condemned to be crucified. The first thing they would do normally is have that person flogged or whipped. Luke doesn't include that in his gospel, but the other three gospel accounts tell us that Pilate had Jesus whipped or flogged. They would tie him to a post, and they would whip him. And these are like guys that that's what they do. That's their job. You know, like, what do you do? What do you do? I whip people. And the way they did it was they would whip and whip and whip until they drew blood, until flesh was torn. That was normally the way they were flogged. Then they would untie them and lead them out toward the place to be crucified, which was normally outside the city. They would do this, people that uh, only, not to Roman citizens, but to foreigners. They would do it to people who committed crimes of treason. Anything that was worthy of death, they did this. And it was a way for all the people to see this is what's going to happen if you go against Rome. And they wanted to strike fear into the hearts of the people, and and it worked. So the person being crucified, they would lead him out, and there was a cross beam. One beam was already on the hill, standing up straight. The other cross beam that would later be put on was carried by the person who was condemned to be crucified. And we see Jesus in this passage carrying his cross beam. He would carry it over his shoulder, kind of like he would carry a sack, like this, and walk it. After being flogged, walk it outside the city and up the hill to this place. That's exactly what Jesus did. Then they would take the person, they would tie him normally to the crossbeam with ropes, and occasionally they would nail nail their hands. And then they would raise the person up on the crossbeam, up onto the cross. We know that we know that Jesus' hands were nailed into the cross. And they raised him up off the ground and they would let them sit there and die. And the way that they died was by suffocation or asphyxiation. Because They're like this, and they have to raise themselves up by their own strength to get air. But you can only do that for so long, and you come down, and eventually you get exhausted, and you can't get air anymore. And you you die by suffocating. It's it's absolutely one of the most horrendous ways anyone could die. Naked in front of everyone. This is what Jesus' people were crying out. They wanted this to happen to him. Crucify him, crucify him. This is what they're crying out for. Pilate, the governor, saying, why? What did he do? What did he do to deserve this? He hasn't committed any crime. But they said, crucify him. Because he had claimed to be the Son of God, which to them was blasphemy. He had claimed to be the Messiah. He had done miracles among them. He had loved them. He would shown them the love of God. He had taught them. He claimed to speak on behalf of God, with the authority of God. And they did not like that because they didn't believe he was who he said he was. To them, it was blasphemy, and they wanted him dead. Verse 24, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown in prison. This is Barabbas. There was a tradition on the Passover festival, which is what this time was. All the people from around Israel traveled to Jerusalem for this festival. And they had a tradition where there was sometimes released one prisoner to the people. Well, Pilate said, I want to release Jesus to you, or I could release Barabbas to you. Which one do you want? I'm sure Pilate was hoping, well, of course you're going to choose Jesus, even though you hate him, because this guy is a murderer, insurrectionist. This guy's a dangerous man. You don't want him to be released again in a society, do you? And it says they cried out for Barabbas. Release to us Barabbas. We want him. Crucify Jesus. So he released the man who had been thrown in prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. So... This is a picture of the gospel, the good news of what God has done. We find ourselves in a state of death and judgment by God, what he's pursuing us, and this is God's plan to save us from that death. Through the Jewish people, through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, who is the Son of God in heaven, equal with God, with God for all of eternity, comes down and becomes a man, becomes a Jewish man, lives among the people of God as the Messiah. He sends him down, to die in our place. But not just, not just that he dies. Oh, thank you. That was nice. Now I'll go about my life. Look at what's happened here. Jesus is completely innocent. He's the innocent lamb. Even the governor knows it. We know beyond that, he's done nothing wrong his entire life. He was, Jesus was perfect. He was tempted, but never gave in to temptation. He always obeyed the Father. He always obeyed God and did what was right. That's what made him qualify to be a sacrifice in our place. I could say, hey, I'll die for one of you. I'll die for you, Russell, in your place. What would God think? Yeah, now <laughs> you're not good enough, Billy. I can't die for him. He's probably better than I am. I can't die for him. It would take someone who's not only perfect to die in my place for what I deserve, but also they would have to be God himself. This is what Jesus was, as the Son of God. So he comes down, the innocent Jesus who's done nothing wrong, is beaten, tortured. His own people betray him and ask for him to be crucified. And the one that walks away free is a sinner, an insurrectionist, and a murderer. And he gets to walk away free. And that's exactly what's happened to us, what God has done, is that we are guilty. We deserve death. We deserve it. We did do something wrong. We've all done something wrong as we've turned our back on God, our owner and our creator who loves us and does nothing but good for us. We've walked away from him and all of the other sin in our life, all the bad things that we do are a result of that rebellion. And he looks down and says, I'll send my perfect son down to be tortured and beaten and put on a cross who's done nothing wrong and doesn't deserve it so that you can all walk away and be free and be forgiven. It's like the raccoon and the chickens and the dog a little bit, isn't it? That's what's happening here. This is a picture of the reality of that happening. Uh, there's a verse in Romans that I love that says this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. So if someone's like a really, really good person, I'm not going to die in their place because like, ah, they're, they're a good person. If someone was a pretty good person and I had a chance, maybe I could take their cancer for them and die. And I cared about that person. Maybe I would die in their place. Maybe. But would I ever die for someone who's, a, who's offended me? Who's done evil against me? Who could care less about me? Would I step in and die for that person? Most of us would never do that. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Amen. Amen. That's the gospel. We didn't do anything good to deserve it. We never could. There's no way we can't make up for it. God's already pronounced the judgment. You die. You're going to die. That's it. Oh, but what if I do of- No, you can't do anything else. You've already done it. It's a, it's done. It's a done deal. You're dead. You die. And we've seen it happen for thousands of years. People die. And they go away and they're going to stand before God. And be judged. But God says, I'm providing a way. I'm providing someone in your place so that you can walk away and be free. That's what's happening here. So this is the the fourth box as the story continues. We see God. The last picture we saw was a person lying dead under God's judgment. Now we see a person who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being crucified on a cross in our place. So that we can we have a chance to live now and be alive under God's rule again. Here's what this verse says in Isaiah 53. It was written 800 years before Jesus ever came. It's a prophecy about the future, and it says, "But he was pierced for our rebellion, crucified for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed." That's the gospel is that Jesus pushes us out of the way and stands in our place, and he gets whipped, he gets crucified, he gets beaten, and God was pleased to do it, it says. God says, I want this to happen, and Jesus, the Son of God, said, okay. Why? Why would he do something like that? Because of his great love for us, is what the verse says. So this is the hope of this passage we're going to look at and race through in five minutes, so put your seatbelts on, okay? Okay. Here's what it says, the crucifixion. Verse 26, uh, verse 32. The others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one at his right and one at his left. This is a picture of the place that could possibly be the hill where Jesus was crucified with the two criminals. It's called the skull. It's a translation of Golgotha. And, um, We don't know exactly where it is, but there's two places. This is one of them that scholars think may be the place. This place actually, you can't see it as much here, but from a distance, it actually looks like a skull on the side of the hill. So this could be the place um, where Jesus was crucified. This is an actual place (laughs) that exists. This happened in history. Um, A couple quick quick places, because you could say, well, I don't believe what the Bible says. Well... It's not just the Bible saying this happened. Josephus was a historian around the time of Christ. And here's what he quotes, quoted as saying in his uh, historical works, Antiquities. Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified. Here's another one from the second cent- early 2nd century, Tacitus from his annals. This name originates from Christus, who was sentenced to death by proc- procurator or Governor Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius, who was uh, the Roman emperor of that time. So this was something that happened in history. We need to understand this because the Son of God came down and became a person. He walked on the earth. He talked. He went to a cross. He was beaten in our place. He felt the pain, and he went to the cross for us. Then it goes on in verse 34. So here he is. Up on a cross, hanging there with a criminal on each side of him, what does he say? What would you say? (laughs) Here's what he says. Father, bring down your wrath upon them and destroy them, please, and make them feel the most horrible pain they could ever feel in their lives before they die for doing this to me, the innocent and righteous Son of God. Is that what your Bible say? Okay. Oh, here's what mine says. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what, I think it was Josh that mentioned earlier, the unbelievable grace and mercy of God. The great love of God that would drive him hanging on a cross, not deserving it. In any second, God could melt everyone's faces, and it'd be over. I mean, in a second— Dude, Jesus walked on water. You think that was a great miracle? That was nothing, man. Could have been God's watching his son. If I was watching my son hanging on a cross, being crucified, you know, what would I do? <laughs> I'd grab a sword or anything I could find and I'd start cleaning house. I'd take as many down with me as I could. God sits up there and watches it happen. And then Jesus says, Father, forgive them Please forgive them, even though they're sinners. Remember? It says that he died for us while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, while we were rebels. This is, the, this is crazy, you guys. It's absolutely crazy. Father, forgive them. It says they cast lots to divide his garments, which was common. Someone died, they would, they would want to cast lots to see who gets his clothes. This was also prophesied long ago in the Psalms, what happened Exactly. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews, mocking him. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him or blasphemed him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So here's, there's different reactions happening while this is going on. Some people are believing that this was the Son of God. Others are like, I don't really care. just another guy dying who thinks he's something. Some people are enjoying this moment. They want him dead. Right now, there's a people in Unison saying, show us a miracle. If you're God, why don't you save yourself? Here's the thing about God. Have you ever heard people like, well, if God would just show me some miracle, then I'd believe in him, right? Well, number one, they wouldn't, because then they'd have to believe everything he says, which they probably don't want to do. You'd have to submit your life to God. So it's probably better that they don't show him a miracle. The thing about God is he doesn't need anyone. <laughs> he was here before all this was here. There's a theological word that God exists, a say. That means in and of himself. In the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they don't need anyone's help. They're not, like, God's not insecure going, I wish people would just like me. Why won't they love me? He's insecure. He feels bad about it. Like, I hope they believe in me after this, because I just can't go on without, without these people in my life. You know, that's, that's not God. God doesn't need us. Jesus is accomplishing something here, and he knows it. He's accomplishing salvation for people, and it had to be done this way. Because only the Son of God could die in our place so that we could live. So that God would forgive us. So we'd over, he would overlook his own justice and his wrath and his judgment on us. This had to happen. He didn't have to do it, but he chose to do it. So all these people are crying out, save yourself. He's not going to do it. God will save him. We're going to see in a minute next week that he's, God raises Jesus from the dead. And people see him and witness this. And he's going to come back again someday. And it's not, he's not going to be quite as gentle as the first time. He's going to be riding on a white horse with a huge sword. Taking people out, and there's going to be blood, it says, like has never been seen on the earth before, up to the horse's bridle from all the death and the judgment that he's going to bring for people that didn't believe what we're saying right now. These people are crying out, Save yourself! They're mocking him. But one criminal says something different. The other criminal on the other side. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. This second criminal gave the right response that God is looking for from human beings. Here's the elements. The first one is he says, You know what? I'm just getting the penalty for what I did, I made a decision to do whatever I did to commit the crimes that I did. You know what? If you're, if you're driving down the freeway and you break the speed limit and a cop pulls you over and you're going 85, you got to pay the ticket, man. <laughs> Sorry. It's happened to me. Don't tell anyone. Is this being recorded? So this guy's saying, I'm, I'm here because I, was, I, I, I committed a crime that was worthy of death. They've chosen. I didn't have to do the crime, but I did it. Now i got to do the time. That's the first thing we need to say is you have to look at that second box we look at and go, yeah, I have turned my back on God. I don't care about about you, God. I don't care about you. And you've given me death and eternal separation from you. And that's what I deserve. There's nothing I can do to get out of it. You have to start there. If you can't say that, then you can't go any farther. You got to admit it. (laughs) This world is jacked up. Because of me, because of the people around me. Some of us are worse than others. It doesn't matter. We've all rejected God. That's called confession. We confess what the Bible calls our sin. We confess our sin. This guy does that. He confesses a sin. Then he says this: He says that we're, I'm receiving the due penalty, the due reward. I'm receiving justice for what I did. We got to say, because I am dying, I die." Because I receive the justice, it's just. It's happening to me. God has the right to do it because he owns everything. And he made me. Verse 42, and then he said this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Then you've got to go a step further and say, Okay, God, I believe Jesus is who he said he was. I believe that he died in my place and that only he can forgive me of my sins and give me life and save me from death and eternity when i die and go into the unknown only he can save me from that and give me life and so god can you give me that can you re- can you remember me in your kingdom would you save me god because i know i'm a sinner that's what he did what did jesus say verse 43 and he said to him truly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise that's astounding cuz how many good deeds did the was the the thief able to do after he made that confession. Jesus didn't say, "Okay, well, you're on a cross, is there any way you can pray and maybe do some acts of charity while you're up there?" You know, because, you know, you got to kind of do some good things before you can get into heaven. This is crazy. He said, "This day because you know the thief died that day. This day when you die, you'll wake up in paradise in heaven with me." That's God's promise is that if you believe this story of the gospel of the good news, if you believe it with all your heart and you put your trust in God, He will save you. He'll save you from death. Eternal. That's where we're going to stop it today. I won't go into all the life and joy that He's going to bring into your life. But He's going to save you from death. He'll save you. He has the power to do that because it's His and He created it. He's out there and He knows what's in the unknown. He already knows it will save you and bring you in safely. we got to wrap it up. It was now about the sixth hour, which would be 12 o'clock, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. All well, the sun's light failed from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Darkness came over the whole land. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. They were sorry for what they had done. Many of them, not everyone. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. We've got to wrap it up. Um, the band's going to come up. You guys can go ahead and come up as we're wrapping this up. Um, we're going to sing a little bit. We're going to take some communion, which I'll explain. But they stood at a distance watching these things. We stand, so to speak, at a distance right now, watching all these things. We're watching what happened in history. Darkness came over the land. This is a sign of judgment, that God is going to bring judgment on the earth. He's going to do it. He's coming back. So we find ourselves in that intermediate state. What are we going to do while we're waiting? Are we going to choose life in Jesus' the Son, or are we going to choose death? Next week, uh, Josh will unpack this more, but Jesus rose from the dead three days later. God raised him from the dead to life. He's alive today. Gonna get an amen? In heaven. This is what it says in 1 Peter 1.3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection meant judgment to the Jewish people. We like to try to prove the resurrection that it happened so it proves to you that Jesus died on the cross, which is okay. What the resurrection meant to the Jewish people was judgment. On Judgment Day, the wicked would be resurrected to eternal punishment. The righteous would be resurrected to life. Jesus is resurrected. The new life has begun now in Jesus with our faith and trust in Jesus. And it continues for all of eternity And we escape the wrath and the day of the Lord, the judgment that's coming. Here's the last thing. What do I do about it Today. You basically have two choices. If all this is true, you have two choices. There's two things you can do today. First one is the little guy on the left. Still got the crown on his head. He's the king. Keep living life your own way. Keep doing whatever you're doing, whatever you're feeling like works for you. Reject God. I don't believe you. I got this covered. I'm enjoying my life. I'm gonna keep doing it. That's, that's fine if that's your choice. Well, what God has said is going to happen to you is you're facing death and eternal judgment apart from him, apart from God. If that's what you want, then that would be the choice to make. Second choice you can make is take the, rip that crown off and come under God's rule in Jesus Christ. Say, I believe what you've done for me on the cross, and I want to trust you. I'm going to confess my sin like the thief on the cross and say, yeah, you're right, I'm a sinner. Can you save me? Can you give me life, God? You can say that. You can do it right now. That's what's so sweet. You don't need anyone to help you. We are here and available to help you. But you can do that. You can say that prayer. You can just ask God in your own words. That's it. When you have done that, when you put your faith in Christ, we come and we celebrate communion. And this is a way that we remember what God had done for us. So on both sides, we have bread. And then we have juice or wine. You can come up during the, the music at any time. Tear off a piece of the bread, which represents the body of Jesus that was given on the cross for you. And the juice and the wine represents his blood that was spilled and shed for you. Dip that bread in the juice and we eat. And that's the way that we remember that this is where life is found. This is where hope is found. This is where truth is found. Amen. Um, would you guys just close your eyes just as we begin, just for a few minutes, and just think about these things and just let's just meditate on them as we come in to sing and think about what we're doing. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.